Okay, a bit of a cold open today to give you a bit of a channel update uh, to get into the exciting new things we are trying. Instead of our usual episode a month, we are going to be having a few different types of episodes on top of our normal chat. Things like stump speeches and something like today's episode, a service industry workers of Ann Arbor's area live stream. For those who don't know, the service industry workers of Ann Arbor area, or CWA3, is an industry union here in Washington County that organizes with our branch. One of the many things they do is have monthly live streams on their Facebook page about issues facing service workers in these crazy times. We've now started to record them and we'll now start putting them out here as well for your listening pleasure. So sit back, enjoy. Don't worry, uh, regular episodes will still be coming out monthly as well as our next episode, which is a crossover with Labor Wave Radio, very exciting, which will be coming out soon along with those stump speeches I mentioned. So stay tuned, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our fifth live stream. It's pretty exciting. This is the second part of our two-part discussion on CWA3's basic platform, um, which is essentially what are the top issues that we've identified from talking to workers about what need to be addressed in our industry. Um, last time we talked about racism and sexual harassment, and we talked about health and safety concerns, particularly around COVID. That stream is still available to watch, as are the rest of them, on the uh, CWA3 Facebook page. So check those out if you're worried about going back to work next week, which is imminent. Um, as always, if you're worried about going back to work and you don't know what you can do about it, or if you're experiencing racism, sexual harassment, or wage theft in your workplace, please reach out and we are happy to talk to you. Today though, we're gonna be talking about what makes us put on pants and a smile. It is money. There's a lot to talk about around wages in our industry. And today we're going to be kind of focusing on tipped wages, what eliminating means, <clears throat> eliminating it means for workers and for restaurants, we're also gonna be talking about wage theft because it's more common than most people realize. And right now, no one in this industry should accept another dime stolen from them, especially with so many of us still waiting for our PUA. We're also gonna be talking about new legislation that affects your wages at some point. But before we get into that, let us do a round of introductions. Today we have with us, uh, Gabby, do you wanna start? Yeah, hi there. Uh, my name is Gabby, she, her. Um, and I'm a former bartender um, at Arbor Brewing Company in downtown Ann Arbor, um, which closed down in June. Um, and I'm a member of CWA3 um, and the Ypsilanti IWW, and I'm an organizer with both of those organizations. And yeah, um, maybe I should pop a cornet, right? Um, uh, Jason, would you mind introducing yourself? Hi, uh, I'm Jason. I'm the chairman of Agiprop and a delegate for the Ipsy IWW uh, and a big tipper. Uh, over to Derek. Hi, I'm Derek. Derek Thorne. I am a delegate and chair of strategic organizing at the Ypsilanti IWW and an organizer here with CWA3. Uh, always interested in having conversations with workers about their working conditions and what we can do to make them better. Thank you. I am Lisa, she, her pronouns. I am also an organizer with CWA3 and with the FCIWW. I uh, will be moderating this conversation. We also may have a worker joining us, someone who's been working through the entire pandemic, but she's having some uh, childcare stuff, so uh, that may or may not happen. 
Um, shout out to Emily for moderating the comments as well. If you do have questions for us, please feel free to ask them in the comments. We'll see them and I'll get to them um, either at the end of the stream or as it becomes uh, like good to talk about it in the script. So mm -hmm. let's, uh, let's start off talking about tipped wages. Um, after the movements all summer, the Black Lives Matter movements, which you know brought so much attention to so many different levels of institutional racism in our society, um, this kind of opens up the platform to talk about how the tipped wage is a historically racist institution. So will somebody start us off talking about how the tipped wage came to be and how and why racism is built into this kind of sub-minimum wage model? Yeah, so um, like Lisa mentioned earlier, we talked a little bit about you know um, racial discrimination in our industry in our last live stream, but um, there's a huge connection to uh, tipped wages that most people don't realize. Um, and uh, in particular, there is a connection between um, tipping, tipped wages, and slavery. Um, so tipping originated in feudal Europe, and um, the U.S. ended up um, picking it up um, uh, by, I guess it was American travelers uh, who were eager to seem more sophisticated um, by sort of dropping, you know, showing how much they have, right, um, monetarily. Um, and it spread throughout the U.S. Uh, after the Civil War as uh, basically U.S. employers basically uh, were looking for ways to avoid paying formerly enslaved workers. Um, I guess one of the most notorious examples comes from uh, this company called the Pullman Company, uh, which hired newly freed African-American men as porters. So rather than having to pay them a real wage, this company provided these porters with um, just a meager pittance, um, forcing them to rely on tips, um, which their white clientele was supposed to pay, right? Um, and as time went on, tipping continued to be entrenched in a unique and often racialized class structure in service jobs. Um, uh, there's this really cool quote, um, and we we linked the the link to the article um, uh, from this book, or maybe it was just the book "Tipping: An American Social History of." Uh, what is that word? Gratuities. Oh, weird. Tips. Uh, <laughs> um, um, so the the tip or the the quote says, um, "Negroes take tips, of course." One expects that of them. It is a token of their inferiority. Um, he goes on to say, tips go with servility and no man who is a voter in this country is in the least justified in being in service. So we can really see the huge racialized history of tipping. Um, and uh, people who are, you know, these people who are, you know, forced to rely on tips, um, uh, you know, obviously this is like, really an immoral sort of practice that has just continued on, right? Um, in this popular 1916 anti-tipping study um, 
called the itching palm. That's really clever. Um, this guy, William Scott, described tipping as an aristocratic custom that went against American ideals. He said the relation of a man giving a tip and a man accepting it is as undemocratic as the relation of master and slave. Um, he also said a citizen in a republic ought to stand shoulder to shoulder with every other citizen with no thought of cringing without an assumption of superiority or an acknowledgement of inferiority. And I think like, you know, uh, this is something that like really a lot of servers have experienced just on the whole, right? This sort of attitude about tipping. You know, have you ever heard those stories about um, the people who come in and lay out, you know, $1 bills on the table? Has this ever happened to anybody? I don't know. But, but they lay out these bills on the table. And anytime a server messes up, uh, messes up during you know the time that they're being they're serving somebody the customer will in front of them take the dollar away like one dollar away each time there's a quote-unquote mistake um and this happens and I know in places that I've worked this has definitely happened um but it just goes to show you this level of superior you know superiority this attitude that like I hold the power over you and your ability to make money, right? Without 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 getting too far off the history track as well. I mean, it's it's really such a fascinating uh, phenomenon because I, I imagine I don't want to speak for everybody, but I know people in my life growing up, and and I I don't talk about it as much as people these days or hear about it because I haven't eaten out in I don't know <laughs> forever. Yeah. But but you know there there's I, I feel like I've always known somebody that was that that like refused to tip 20% and like, well, the service wasn't that good. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, we're not, we're not, we're not basing their, their, their salary on, on their performance at our table for Christ's sakes, this waiter or waitress, this wait person has been serving multiple tables all night long. Like, I'm sorry that we weren't at the top of their priority list. And then, and, and then, you know, you look at me and you're like, okay, so, so, so you're an office worker. Do you get, do you get tips for your output this week? You know, I'm pretty sure you took about 20 breaks yesterday and smoked a few cigarettes and, and, and didn't get your reports in on time. Is your salary, like, should, should, should your managers like give you a tipped wage if you're not performing adequately? Like, like this idea that, that we tip people because they're not performing up to our expectations is really baked into this idea of service that like they are serving us and they are our servants and our tip is representative of our goodwill and appreciation of their good work. No, you are paying somebody a salary. We are contributing directly to their salary. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go, but if, if if the whole lot of us didn't tip um, tipped workers, they could not come close to surviving in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to talk about that a little bit more. But um, I think you know this is this is you know a very uh, common and accepted attitude, and and it has very racist roots, right? Um, I mean, sh- shock of all shocks, it's America, and the, one of the worst things about America is almost everything bad comes from racism. And like, it's because, you know, people were recently freed. They can only do certain jobs. And then they're like, all right, well, let's legislate against those jobs. Yeah. So just to keep us a little bit on track though, the, the tipped wage has been with us for a really long time. 
it didn't even start that we got a base wage until 1966. And the tipped minimum wage, the federal minimum wage is 213 an hour. I know we make like 367 or something in Michigan, but um, the federal minimum wage hasn't even changed for 30 years. And uh, here's a familiar-ish name. Um, Herman Cain, who used to head the National Restaurant Association at the time, is the reason that the um, industry got a small increase in the minimum wage as long as the wage was frozen at 213 an hour. So it, um, yeah, this, this wage, there's a lot of uh, pushback against changing it. And it's very much rooted in some deep history. Um, there is a, like the, the fallback of that though, the, the, the problem aside from the obvious, you know, we can sometimes not make enough money to live is that the separate lower minimum wage for tip workers perpetuates racial and gender inequalities and results in worse economic outcomes for tip workers. Um, forcing workers to rely on their tips for their wages creates this instability in income flows. And that is most most felt by people of color. They are tipped less and data supports this than white servers. They're hired less is front of the house staff. Um, and so the fallout from this wage that, you know, coming from not wanting to pay slaves or former enslaved people um, still sits with us today. So I wanna talk a little bit about how um, servers are afraid of changing it, despite the fact that we all know that it's like weird and broken. For some reason, most servers are really against increasing the tipped wage. So um, why why should they? Right, so um, uh, Lisa, I would love you know to hear about you know your experience working in Portland um, for sure um, in regards to this, but um, but yeah, um, there have been studies that have been done uh, in these high you know equal treatment states um, that have shown that um, servers and bartenders earn seventeen percent more per hour, and that includes both tips and base pay. Uh, then their counterparts in states where tipped workers receive the federal tipped minimum wage of two thirteen an hour, and I think there is this attitude, right? That you know, um, you know, we have really great nights. You know, we have nights that we make you know three four hundred dollars, and we think, you know, it's it's really hard to let go of. I think in a lot of people's minds, you know, let go of those, you know, really good nights, you know, what stands out to you oftentimes when you're thinking about when, how, when, and how you make your money, you're thinking of those nights that you make really good money, but then you, you know, you kind of, that drowns out the fact that, you know, in, in the majority, at least for most people of the other nights that you work, you're not making enough. Right. Um, and, That's and I think, true. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I was oh. just going to say, um, I wouldn't be making any money this month anyway, February, the, uh, the is, uh, you know, a nothing month, um, yeah. for most of the shifts. So yeah, this, the money I make in the summer does not, it, it just serves to even out the money that I make in the winter time. And it requires a lot more delicate balancing of my funds to survive through the winter on what I make than it would if I just made a consistent wage that, you know. 
but you're right in Oregon I worked so I don't know who knows much about Portland but I worked at the Roxy which is the 24-hour diner in Portland because I work in 24-hour diners um, because that's what I love and I made state minimum wage which when I was there was 7 25 an hour plus tips and I think by the time I left I, I was there from 1998 until 2005 with like a year that I left um, I think when I left, it was something like $9 or $9.25 an hour, right? And I made between $100 and $200 a night in tips. So I got this paycheck that covered my expenses and people still tipped and they tipped generously. Um, and that's like, you know, weeknights or whatever. You still have those big nights when there's a show nearby or it's, you know, like a big, big party night. Um So yeah, all it meant was that I just made more money and never had to worry about like, what if I only make 50 bucks tomorrow? I don't know if I can make my rent. Yeah. I had a, um, I had a waitress friend, Leah and her bartender waitress, a whole bunch of stuff. She's always working six jobs. And that's because if it was slow at one job, it would be busy at the other. And she had to do this weird juggling act. And like, yeah, some days she'd make a whole lot of cash. Like, look at all the cash I made. That's why I do it. And I'm like, cool. But like, I know what my paycheck is going to be every two weeks, no matter how much work I do or how many people come in. And that's bartenders usually have it pretty good because they often get tipped out from the wait staff too. That's a whole different issue. But most wait staff with a bartender are required to share part of their tips with the bartender who is making their own tips as well. So bartenders are the big money in this dynamic. So yeah. Yeah, I remember always feeling really weird about that as a bartender, just like at the end of the night, like, you know, especially if I knew it was slow. I mean, I would always just tell people not to worry, you know, especially on really slow nights. But like, that was always a weird thing that I remember experiencing and thinking about. And to, to your point, Lisa, yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, seasonally, like, like really struggling to get by in like February, January and February and just being like, okay, you just got to hold out until, you know, spring until the patio opens up. So I think that's a very common thing that people experience in this industry. And I mean, if you think about it, we work downtown. So we get all like the student foot traffic and, and you know, we, we have volume. Mm. Places that aren't central downtown where people are still working for tipped wages are the people we're fighting for. The thing is, like most of the people that I talk to about these things are also people that walk that work downtown because they come into the Fleetwood and they talk about work or whatever. But the attitude that just because we're doing okay doesn't mean we shouldn't fight for everybody else in our industry to be okay never really sits well with me, especially since, you know, there are things wrong with our workplace. And wouldn't it be cool if they also were fighting for the things that were wrong in our workplace, because we have more in common than we don't with people who are making less tips. And I think that, you know, since the pandemic started, we've been doing this work and talking to workers who work at a more diverse kind of, um, brand of restaurant like more chain restaurants and things than than I'm used to talking to in person you know because the dynamic of downtown Ann Arbor um it's really woken me up to the fact that there are too many people who are not making enough money um with a tipped wage and that doesn't even yeah (laughs) we'll get into talking about back of the house in a while too but I think like 
Yeah, we need to have these conversations. We need to talk to our um, fellow workers about why we really believe that ending the tipped wage is beneficial and that the data backs us up. Like there are, I think, seven states that have eliminated the tip wage and they all are uh, doing better than um, states that are not. And it's just, there's data to back it up. So the other problem though, is that there are this, this, this group of people who have a lot of power in our society and that is restaurant owners and they hate the idea of getting rid of the tipped wage. Um, but studies also show that the it, getting rid of the tipped wage benefits them as well. So I'm gonna let you all talk about some of this data here. Yeah, the studies so far that we've looked at definitely show that the restaurant industry thrives in equal treatment states. Um, and one of these studies uh, on the minimum wage uh, says that uh, researchers aggregated the results of over four decades of studies on the employment effects of the minimum wage. They said that there is, quote, little or no significant impact of minimum wage increases on employment. Um, so businesses are typically able to absorb additional labor costs through in these increases in productivity, uh, reductions in turnover costs, compressing internal wage ladders, and modest price increases. And th this the, this whole thing about price increases um, in restaurants and in the you know the the bar and restaurant industry has been a big discussion recently too. Um, uh, in fact, like there's, there's, you know, a lot of people are, are talking about how we've been underpaying for a really long time, often enough, right, um, as patrons. So um, I think, too, it's notable to, no, to, to point out that the, the threat that they're going to have to like raise prices or that it's going to, you know, like raising the minimum wage or whatever is going to have an effect to raise prices in the economy. That happens anyway. Like that is happening. It has been happening. And the only thing that is not happening is our wages raising to meet the increasing cost of everything. Yeah, it's worth pointing out that research specific to the tip minimum wage has also found no significant effect on employment. Um, and uh, according to this quarterly census of employment and wages, um, Full service restaurants and equal treatment states saw actually a stronger growth, both in terms of number of establishments and number of jobs compared to states with a separate lower minimum wage for tipped workers. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, yeah, and a lot of people don't realize this stuff, right? Um, uh, I think, you know, we're just so clouded with this idea that, you know, um, we must rely on these tips and we have to, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, even this to me is all like, you know, a bit surprising, honestly. Um, well, and also, like, if I if I can, you know, according to the yeah. Bureau of Labor Statistics, and, and, you know, this is like accounting for tips. So like, what are the wages that we're making? So the median hourly wage for a tipped worker in Michigan, um, there's data also on the metro, like the Detroit metropolitan area that I don't have like offhand right now. But in Michigan, that median hourly wage uh, for like restaurants in general is about $10.73. Like that's that's the middle of the spectrum. So there are like about, about half of the people make more and about half the people make less than that. But at the middle of that, up to 50% of restaurant workers in Michigan are making about $10.73 uh, an hour. And that's including tipped wages. 
And so, and so I, I kind of look at this data and I, and I think to myself, um, exactly what I think Lisa and Gabby were alluding to earlier is that, is that sure, um, the high tipped days are helping to level out some of the times when I went, when I wasn't making as much in tips, but even with those tips, how much money are you realistically making? And I'm certain based on this data here that there are, that there are people who are making more and in some cases possibly substantially more than that on an hourly basis. But the majority of workers, 50% of workers uh, in the restaurant industry in Michigan are making $10.73 an hour, including tips. Uh, and that, 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 that's abysmal. Like in the Ann Arbor area, that's not a living wage. $32,000 a year is not a living wage in housing crisis, Washtenaw County. Um, that's not a living wage literally anywhere in the country. That's why there's a national fight for $15 an hour, which is now inadequate. By the time they get us $15 an hour, we should be at $25 an hour. So yeah, I, I challenge literally anyone who thinks that that is an adequate amount of money to live on to live on it. <laughs> I mean, you're going to live on it, but it's going to, you're going to be living on the street and like barely making enough. You're going to be eating at your job. And you're going to be, you know, living on the lower scrape of the barrel. Yeah. yeah, that actually is a really good transition to this kind of next point that we're all kind of demoralized because a lot of us are working more than one job, as has been mentioned already, because our wages, whether we are tipped or whether we are working in the back of the house, because, you know, no back of the house jobs actually pay, like, find me a dishwasher and more than three restaurants that I can think of off the top of my head that make, you know, more than $10 an hour. Um, so the ebbs and flows of the income and the low base income for, um, you know, back of the wages is, uh, is pretty ubiquitous. Um, and like I said before, that's not true for everybody. So like some of us have had the really good fortune to work in places that have pretty decent averages. But I also, you know, I've worked in places that I made $40 in tips a day. So, um, and downtown Ann Arbor. Um, for those of us that make tips though, our bosses find other ways to take our money. So um, they pay us three sixty-five an hour. And they think that they're not entitled to pay us overtime or to do our side work or they take part of our tips out to uh, pay some of the costs of running their business. And this happens a lot. So we wanna talk about like how this happens, what that looks like and what we can do about it. Yeah, so um, I think Lisa already pretty much alluded to this, but wage theft is definitely super acute in the food and drink service. Um, and restaurants across the country have been found to be in violation of, of wage and hour laws. Um, it's true that the law requires restaurants to ensure that tipped workers receive at least the regular minimum wage when their tips are included, but we know the reality is that huge numbers of restaurants ignore these requirements. Um, I guess there was uh, an investigation of over 9,000 restaurants um, by the U.S. Department of Labor, and they found that 84% of investigated restaurants were in violation of wage and hour laws including nearly 1,200 violations of the requirement to bring tipped workers' wages 
up to the minimum wage. Um, we've had many conversations with service workers um, in the last 10 months or so, and this seems to especially be the case during the pandemic where businesses are already struggling to get by. Um, they've, um, you know, restaurant owners have been searching for ways to increase their profits and stay afloat and um, wage theft in this kind of way has been really common um, and, and many other ways as well, which we can talk about in a second here. Um, but among these restaurants that were investigated, tip workers were cheated out of nearly $5.5 million. $5.5 million. Um, uh, it's it's astronomical uh, how much money we were being cheated out of um, constantly. Um, and workers in the food and service industries are, are more likely to suffer minimum wage violations than workers in other industries. And a lot of people don't know this fact either. Um, there's so much wage theft going on in the service industry. And um, we were talking a little bit um, before this started about what um, wage theft really looks like. And uh, many, many people don't realize it's wage theft. Um, uh, one of the things that we've talked about um, a few times in our meetings is, um, you know, if you're a bartender uh, and you, you know, you always have your drawer that you're in charge of, you count it down and you're responsible for the amount of money that, you know, and ends up being at the end of the night. I mean, um, you know, most people are under the assumption that they are required to pay back whatever money the drawer is short of. Total bullshit. Yeah. Not true. I, I I know personally, I have been doing this for years and years. Um, and um, and everybody I know has been doing this. It is illegal. Uh, you do not, you are not required legally to pay back this um drawer shortage. Um the same is, goes for walkouts. Same goes for walkouts, yes. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, this is this is something that's very common. I've never personally, I don't think uh had to deal with that as a server but like or a bartender but um but i know many many people that have yeah if you have a customer that you know we've all had them you know says you know they're going out for a smoke break or you know we just we go into the kitchen to grab you know somebody's food and they walk out you know um and at Denny's, they'll just walk out right in front of you right. yeah. and, um, and, and, and just just to be clear you cannot be forced to pay that back under threat of coercion right and that's actually like I don't have the Michigan state law in there, but like that phrase, like that's like, that's the phrase that is used. Like you cannot be coerced into paying back losses like this. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's, it, 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 it's completely outrageous. And I also just want to highlight like the degree, the degree of wage theft at one, I'm sorry, actually, I'm sorry, three separate businesses in Michigan in the last couple of years uh, in night in 2020, Three separate businesses in Kalamazoo were ordered to pay $225,000 in back wages to 82 different employees at just these three businesses. I mean, that's that's an immense amount of wage theft at just such a small number of places. And that's just like tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, wage theft comes in so many different forms from being forced to pay shortages, from being forced to pay walkouts. Uh, you know, my work history, I worked at gas stations. People drive off with gas and they don't pay for it. And Or a beer. Or a beer. And they'd come in and say, well, that's a, that's, that's a drive off. You got to pay that. No, I don't. Put that in writing and let me, and, and let me know exactly what I have to do because I'm not paying this. Um, uh, and, and, and then not, not only that, but also uh, 
cutting off like when you when you punch in, oh, just punch out and do this work or or come in early, but don't punch in until until half an hour um, uh, for, for a half an hour. Feel I was going to say, I've worked for more than one employer who has been sued for unpaid overtime and had to pay out people for unpaid overtime. So you can get your money. <laughs> right, you can. Yeah. Um, I, uh, we, go ahead, Jason. My first job was at White Castle and the they would change all my times to have 39 and a half hours. That way they, A, didn't have to pay me overtime and B, didn't have to give me benefits. And we've had workers, you know, here in Washtenaw County, um, some of them at like coffee places, some of them at restaurants who have come out and, you know, they've reported being told to punch out and, you know, we'll get you later. Like we'll, we'll pay you for these wages in a future week. And then the employee, the employee spends weeks and months, you know, when am I getting paid? When am I getting this check? You know, it's not on the clock. It's not. It's not punched in, and you have to rely on the goodwill of owners to a remember that they owe you money. Also, b that's it. It's illegal, right? They're, they they shouldn't be doing that. Your time is tracked, and it should be compensated because you did real work, and you deserve the money that you have made. You deserve more money for for the work that you did. Um, but you know that 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 kind of goes hand in hand. Not only are you having your wages stolen, but you're not getting paid enough to begin with. Yeah, you should get paid to roll your silverware. Like, there is no reason your employer should say clock out and do your side work. That is yeah. illegal. Totally legal. And to be clear, if you are being required to do work, if you are doing work, you should be paid for it. And that means rolling silverware. That means coming in and doing some sweep up or pulling chairs down off of tables or 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 like I, I don't know all, all the tasks that happen, washing dishes, putting dishes out, any of that stuff. If you are working, you should be paid for it. And if your employer says, I'm not going to pay you, you, you're coming in early to do this work and I don't want to pay you for that, then you do not need to be working during that time. That's the relationship. If you're working, you're paid. If you're not working, you're not. That's, that is the relationship. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit beforehand about this too but um well on a different note you know um yeah i remember uh in a recent job where i was bartending the boss would always say you know we need you to come in you know an hour before your shift starts just in case it gets busy um and so i would sit in the other room and like not be clocked in you didn't want us to clock in right um just in case right but and then you know we would kind of feel guilted into stocking things and getting things ready before you know we were supposed to even be on the clock and it was like every time I was just like what what am I doing here I'm not clocked in I'm not getting paid for this why am I doing this you know um but yeah, something I mentioned er, mentioned earlier was, you know, um, I worked a job where um, if you clocked in two minutes late, they would, you know, change your clock in time to a half an hour after you clocked in, right? And it would even show up on your slip. And I remember seeing that the first time and being like, what? And so I, I just, you know, made sure I was on time every single day because, you know, even being two minutes late, even if that means the owner is calling you over to bitch at you before you've gotten a chance to clock in, uh, which was often the case for me, um, uh, you know, you were being, you know, docked out of that money, right? Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I think, Lisa, you know, your experience with the credit card uh, fees or whatever, yeah, I mean, it's not illegal for your employer to take fees out of your credit card tips to cover his business expense, which is credit card fees, um, which it should be. I will 
die yeah, on that it's hill. Not, it's not legally wage theft, but it's wage theft. It's not legally wage theft, but it is wage theft. And it's something that if all of you refuse to do, he could not do anything about. But they can only take as much as they are being charged. So if your employer is paying a 3% credit card fee and taking 5% out, that is illegal wage theft. But the legal wage theft thing is apparently just something that bosses do. Yeah. And like, I think kind of to piggyback off something Derek said, it's like, you got to understand the relationship between you and your employer. They are not your friend. They are not your family. You, They are paying you for your time. And so if you show up early, whether you're even doing anything, that's your time. You got to get paid for it. And like the reason wage theft happens is because all your employer cares about is profit. And the first place they're going to save on expenses is you. You are an expense to them. Well, this is a whole other conversation that I don't want to get too deep into, but it also kind of revolves around the idea that like a lot of people who are lifetime industry workers have not come to it because it was like their dream was to be a waitress or a cook. It's because they didn't fit into other sections of society. And our industry has a ton of problems with employers almost weaponizing and exploiting that idea of family to vulnerable people. Um, Our industry has big problems with addiction. Most of us don't have families to fall back on. And I mean, I'm 45 now and fucking you're all full of shit. But when I was younger, that actually was important to me that my boss saw me as an, as a valuable person like that informed my identity of myself. And it has been used against me. Um, and not just me, everybody in this industry to some extent or another has done something that, you know, they were not paid for or, you know, felt comfortable doing or, you know, whatever, because they, um, you know, wanted to be helpful to, you know, their coworkers and their bosses. So. Yeah. At the end of the day, you got to remember it's no matter how nice your manager or boss is, it's a business transaction. Yeah. When it comes down to an actual question of like, just sincerely and altruistically helping you versus their profits, it's never, ever going to be you. So you should also just, you know, get your money. Yeah. Somebody mentioned in the comments of the live feed here too, is like, we've talked a little bit about it, but it's, it's tipping people out. You know, that, that whole thing. The only reason we tip people out is because our employers don't want to raise people's wages. Uh, And, and so when we're tipping out, you know, um, you know, people in the kitchen and we're tipping out, you know, um, bussers and whoever, like the reason why we're doing that is because our employer doesn't want to pay them a decent wage. Um, As a cook, I have been on both sides and, you know, I, I don't mind tipping out on principle because it is only fair that we all make decent wages. And if I've made more money than someone, then I'm happy to share that with them. But also, I don't expect everybody to to have those same principles like that. You know, that's something that your boss should be taking care of. Like if you're in the back of the house and you can only make a living wage because the waitress had a good night, 
then you're just as exploited as someone who's being paid 213. At that point, it's, it's you know, a more, like minimal difference between like whether you're really, really poor or just kind of poor, you know? You know, and, and, and at the end of the day, CWA 3, right, we are the service industry workers of the Ann Arbor area, right? And we are here to advocate not just for a particular restaurant, but for the industry as a whole. And that includes both waiters, waitresses, um, uh, wait staff and also back of house workers, we should be making reasonable wages. Um, and, and a reasonable wage is essentially something that you can actually survive on. A $26,000 a year salary is not a reasonable wage. Uh, and, 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 you know, there are lots of problems. Um, one, uh, it's difficult for us to modify living wage laws. The state of Michigan passed a law against enacting new living wage laws. The city of Ann Arbor has a living wage law that is simply inadequate. Um, and, and, and even beyond that, if we don't, as an industry, speak up and fight back against wage theft and salaries in general, our industry is going to continue operating as if that is normal standard operating procedures. And we've seen this, you know, in the city of Ypsilanti, you have the Ipsy Ale House. I'm not sure if folks here are familiar with that, but the Ipsy Ale House started with a with a living wage. I can't remember if the living wage was like at like $13 or if it was at $15 when they started. But like within a year, they had readjusted that wage back down to a tipped wage uh, with, with the standard wait staff salary. Uh, and, 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 you know, those business owners sort of made the argument, well, it's difficult to do in an environment where giving, we're giving wait staff this salary puts us at a competitive disadvantage. Well, that's a, that's a bullshit argument, but, but at the same time, it is an industry, it's an industry-wide problem. Uh, our politicians aren't going to come and save us on this one and workers have real power, right? Workers have the power to make these demands known. And if we work together, at our own individual restaurants, but also across restaurants in the industry, we can make real and powerful change there. Uh, and so I'm just gonna take a real quick moment and replug our workers meeting next Thursday. Uh, we do have a workers meeting um, that is next Thursday, the 4th uh, at 2 p.m. And, and that meeting is a great place for us to talk about how we can organize around workers' issues, how we can address wage inequity in the workplace, address wage theft in the workplace, put a stop to that collectively as a group, and really build worker power. And we don't want to sit here and tell you what the issues are. Um, we built the platform we've been talking about, and we work with issues that you have because they're your issues. We're not here to dictate to you how to fix your problems. We're here to hear what your issues are and then work together to train you and teach you how to organize, what to organize around, how to address your issues, how to stand up in your workplace, and how to work together with your fellow workers to make real and effective change in your workplace and across the industry. So come on out next Thursday, February 4th, 2 p.m. I do want to acknowledge though, Derek, it is scary. Um, Very scary. It takes a lot of courage to, to do this work in your workplace and yep. stand up to your boss and make these relationships with your coworkers and make yourself vulnerable for somebody else. But the cool thing is it's happening. It's happening all over the country. Gabby and I go every other week to this rest, this, this national restaurant organizing project call that is a branch of the DSA that's happening in terms of like trying to organize the service industry. And they, they work more in terms of like national policy around restaurant workers. But I go almost, you know, most of the reason that I go is just 
being in a space where I'm listening to people organize around issues in their workplace and they're not the same. Like there are no two organizing efforts that are going on that are alike because it's all about what, what your workplace needs. And it's so inspiring because once people get that win, they're like, I got the dollar an hour raise that we asked for in the back of the house. We got, you know, the living wage. We got, you know, our safety concerns addressed. It is, it just makes me feel like it's really possible to do this work. So yeah, it's very scary, but you are not alone. There are people all over the country making real change in our industry. And it's super duper cool. It's very inspiring. So we've been kind of talking about the last bit here is like, what can we do? Um, I did also want to say that we're, uh, we're making less money than we've ever made before. We are also traditionally extremely underrepresented by unions. Um, unions are traditionally how people and like workers have, have earned their rights. People have not, you know, bosses and politicians aren't bending over backwards to make sure that you're okay and making enough money and safe at work and not experiencing racism. We all know this is true. Um, so the, the change that we've had and we've seen is through the power of labor, it's through the power of workers getting together and demanding this stuff. And this, I think, is a really critical time to be doing this work. We need health care. We need to end the tip wage. We need to do this work. Um, in the, in and the stop wage being treated and like we're a, disposable. In the tipped wage and have a real and have like a living, like have a real livable wage, a living wage, a livable wage on top of that. A livable wage. And to not go to work and worry if the cook is going to grab your ass and to not feel like you can't kick out a customer who is being racist. To have that workplace, like, no, like I've said this before, there is no other industry that is like our industry in terms of what we have to put up with for the amount of money, especially that we are making, especially right now. So I also would, you know, bump the, the meeting, come talk to us. We would love to hear from you and help problem solve your workplace stuff with you. Um, there are going to be some links in the comments for more reading slash viewing. Some of the stuff that we have said in this live stream has been read from the articles we're linking below, um, particularly around the history and the data that we've been sharing. So uh, citing our sources. Does anybody have anything they want to leave us on? I just want to, I, I, I still love it when we march through the streets of the city of Ann Arbor demanding better health and safety and better rights for restaurant workers. We had about 63 people who came out to that. It was a great march and I'll always love the line, Ann Arbor is a, is a worker's town, right? If we don't work, we'll shut it down. And and I think it's it's really empowering to remember that that you literally make Ann Arbor work. Like half of Ann Arbor's, and we're not even just talking about Ann Arbor. It's, it's all of Washtenaw County, but like Ann Arbor in particular, uh, and even Ypsilanti has an immense number of restaurants and restaurant workers as their primary means of business and money making. And Dexter too, actually, we've been hearing from workers out in uh, Dexter. And so, you know, right. our county a, is large. Restaurants are, are a main feature of Main Street. And if restaurant workers don't work, um, those, businesses, those businesses don't make money. 
uh, and we shut down that, that part of the economy. And we have that power. Like we have that power. We can make change because if we don't work and people aren't eating their brunches, uh, change will happen. Yes. Uh, I just would want to reiter reiterate that, that we have the power to make serious change. And, um, you know, uh, as has already been indicated, you know, Everybody always talks about how Ann Arbor is just this booming restaurant industry and, and how great it is. And But the fact of the matter is, is like everybody said so far, that industry can't run without us. So we need to come together. We need to talk about what's going on in our industry. And we need to build solidarity, I think, across, across front of house, back of house, across restaurants, across the industry. We need to make this change happen. And it's happening. It's already happened before, and it will continue happening. So if you want to get involved in this, please come to our worker meeting. We would love to talk with you and get you involved. Um, so thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope that you keep tuning into these live streams as well. And I would like to give everybody homework. I would like everybody who is listening to either this on the live stream or uh, the podcast to text one of your coworkers and ask how they're doing, who you don't talk to uh, fairly frequently, but you feel comfortable with enough, you know, and I know we're all kind of like exhausted and COVID exhausted, but um, yeah, check in on someone. Thanks for listening, everybody. You got all that honey. Okay, and that was the first episode of the CY3 live streams in the can. Hopefully you got something out of our talk. If you want more from CY3, be sure to look them up on Twitter and Instagram or join the Facebook group where it all started. As always, if you're interested in organizing service workers or not, you can reach out to us at the Ypsilanti IWW branch on Twitter, our website, iwwipsy.org, or our email at ypsilantigmb at gmail.com. Until next time. An injury to one is an injury to all.